welcome to Oceanside Theology. I'm Tim. And I'm Daryl. Welcome back. We are continuing on in our doctrine of God in chapter 2 of the uh, London Second Confession uh, from 1689. Uh, and we are now into the third paragraph and our final in- series of installments <laughs> as we look at the do- doctrine around the Trinity. So the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the attributes of who God is and the fact that God is self-sufficient in him of himself and his, and his nature. And now we are going to look at the three persons of the Trinity over the next uh, three episodes. But first, we're going to be talking about the fact that who God, God is one and now the three, the fact that there are the three persons and we'll talk about that and talk about the attributes of the Father or the person of the Father. And so before we dig into this, let us pray. Hmm. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that once again we're able to come and study who you are, that we may love you better, that we can serve you better and be encouraged and equipped as your people. And Lord, as we study... Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity and who you are as three persons, as one God, that you would be opening our minds to comprehend that more clearly, that you, by your spirit, would be enabled. And we ask us all through Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we'll read today from the London Baptist 1689 Confession of Faith, Chapter 2. Paragraph 3. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or Son, and Holy Spirit. Of one substance, power and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor preceding. The Son is is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. All infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. So we're going to talk about the Trinity. And this is one of our most important, but also to many unbelievers, very contentious issue uh, about who God is. Because we're, and we have to be very, very careful about our wording as well, because we are also aware of many heresies throughout the thousands of years where, that this has been taken to um, places it really shouldn't have been. So... What do we mean by the Holy Trinity? We mean that it is one being uh, of God that is made up in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I do want to make a very big caveat about this, right? So throughout time, many people have used many different analogies to come up uh, with a way of explaining the Trinity. And because of our God who is incomprehensible and infinite, 
uh, we're not always going to get this to be a perfect to be to make perfect sense to everyone. And a lot of these analogies often fall short. You know, for example, we've heard that you know, God is like water. He's one, but he's also in three states: frozen, he's liquid, he's gas. gas. It's a fallible analogy. It's not perfect. And I also want to talk about when we say he's one being in three persons, that the word person also isn't um, the right way to describe him. So the way the early church defined the word persons is a bit different to how we think of him. So the original language that the early church used for persons was actually the Latin word persona. And what that was used to represent was similar to an old, uh, old sort of theatrical plays they used to do back in the day, where you would have one person playing different characters, and he would change the mask to symbolize that he's changing character. Also not a perfect way of explaining the Trinity, but this is why I say we have to be very careful about the choices of words we say to describe what the Trinity is. Yeah, and also people put up the objection to the Trinity because the word Trinity is not anywhere in Scripture. That is true, it isn't. Mm -hmm. But the name we have given is biblical, and that's what we're going to be discussing from a biblical standpoint, uh, is that it is taught that we have these three persons. Uh the way that I've had it explained to me without using analogy is you've got the essence of God, which is his power, his divinity, his whole being in that sense. Mm. It's God's capacity to do or to act. And the persons are God's capacity to relate. So we don't, so we interact and relate through the persons. But he acts through, but and all three persons act through the whole essence that is his capacity to act in sustaining, to create, and to perform uh, his deeds and his decrees. Mm. And so you've got these two aspects of God that we talk about independently. Uh, and what we're going to be focusing on is the, this week is how these three persons, who they are mm. and what they are like and how they are unified. Because the other way of looking at it is, is, at it is that they are three persons that are interrelating with a single, perfectly unified will. Mm. They are all working as one in a perfect unity where there is no, where the distinction comes in how we perceive the actions and how we attribute certain actions to certain persons, but all working in concert perfectly seamlessly to carry out his decrees. Hmm. And so, yeah, I personally would like to stay away <laughs> from analogies mm -hmm. just because of how fallible they are and they can give very false impressions yeah. of uh, who God is and how the persons relate. Uh, but, we'll, but yeah, we really want to focus in on the fact that it is one essence that they all have all of. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they have a third of God's essence each to carry out their tasks. 
the entire essence is entirely used by all three at all times in all ways uninterrupted yeah and yet they are distinct yeah so but there, there's a few there's so there's a lot of there's a few basic biblical foundations that we want to talk through to, to explain the concept of the trinity the first and the bedrock of it all is that there is only one god we don't believe in three so as as i've had someone put up in front of me is here's three coffee crops one two three the three the three different things but it's but you're saying one yes we are we are saying one throughout the passages that we talked about uh back in chapter one where we saw ample evidence from the old testament and from even the new testament from from the letter of paul that we believe in one god and one god only and that is a firm point that we must all remember throughout all of this now in saying that as one god we've seen three distinctions there is the father and the father is truly god there is the son the son is truly god and then there's the holy spirit and the holy spirit is also truly god they are distinct but they are all equal and unified within that one divine essence so the first passage that we'll look at just to illustrate this in particular will come from matthew matthew has a couple of good examples we'll look first at the baptism of jesus in matthew chapter 3 verse 16 to 19. and when jesus was baptized immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my son with whom i am well pleased so what do we see here we see jesus physically present on earth getting baptized by john the baptist after that we see a spirit of god the holy spirit descending on a dove and resting on him and then we see a voice from heaven saying this is my son with whom i am well pleased we see from that passage three distinct characters um, the father the son and the spirit that are part of that holy trinity being there but then we see the distinction but where do we see the unity well let's look at matthew 28 verse 19 and this is part of the great commission Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that is Jesus talking about the Great Commission. He's giving his instructions to his disciples. But note there, he is saying the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying there that these three distinctions all share one name. And that stands by in the original Greek as well, that it uses the singular for name. Yeah, and that in and of itself just says, okay, this is one entity. Hmm. Uh, you don't, and God has many names, but in this case, it is, this is the one person. Hmm. And... So we can't separate them. We can't, and they're treated as equal. And I think us looking at 
continue looking at uh, John chapter 14, verses 9 through to 11, further emphasizes this, the Spirit is not uh, directly in this passage, but that equality in the persons becomes apparent. Jesus said to him, this is Philip, uh, have I been with you so long and you still not do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. It is a very confusing <laughs> argument if you read it too quickly. So we'll break it down. Uh, so Philip's obviously, uh, Philip has obviously asked Jesus, saying, well, if you're the Son of God, show us the Father. And this is a misunderstanding of the Trinity, being that they are separate. They are not separate. They're distinct, but not separate. And he says, well, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I speak not just on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me and does, and I do his works. Hmm. And he only does these works after he gets baptized with the Spirit, um, that we read about in his baptism in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus only goes into his full-time ministry after we get that unification where the Son acts in accordance with the instructions of the Father with the power of the Spirit. Not because one is greater than the other, but rather because they work in perfect synergy, accomplishing the same goal. They're working to the, the same point, each with the distinct purpose hmm. in how in how they carry that out and how we perceive that interaction in these persons, hmm. but not they're not separate. Yeah, the spirit doesn't act on his own. The father does not act on his own. In creation, we've got um, so we'll look at so Genesis chapter one. Uh, world is without form and void and there's darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit Spirit of God God was hovering over the waters and then God spoke we have in John chapter 1 in the beginning the word was with God and the word was God so you've got the God the Father Mm. the word who is Christ and Genesis chapter 1 you've got the spirit hovering over the waters the Father spoke, the Son empowered it, and the Spirit carried it out. Yeah, You've got the, this distinct motion where they work in a single unison hmm. that cannot be separated. Hmm. And so this is why we have the Trinity, because you've got one God, but the, the way we interact and relate and perceive it is in these three distinct personas or persons that are all there all the time in everything yeah and we talk about the son being in the father and the father being in the son they're they they all are united we 
you know, the fire doesn't go one way and the sun doesn't do something completely opposite. They're, they're, they're all united in accomplishing the same thing. Um, and even in this passage, right, I know we said we didn't, it didn't talk about the spirit, but we actually read a little bit further on in this chapter. We actually do see the spirit, you know. If I look from verse 15 onwards, right? If you love me and you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we're talking about the spirit there as well as being dwelling in us. He is the helper that is sent from the father. He's proceeded, it is proceeded from the father. Uh, so yes, it's a, it's a complex understanding and one that is hard to wrap our heads around, but we, we must always re remember that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are always distinct, but they always act with the same unity. Yeah. Yeah. There's no division in the mind. I know I know I say I hate analogies, but when somebody's like, how would you draw a symbol of the Trinity? We've got a number, like people draw three circles or a triangle. Oh, yeah. And one uh, theology lecturer I had drew a circle. He drew another circle on top of that circle and then drew another circle on top of that circle and said, here's the Trinity. Because they, it wasn't a division of the essence of God, but rather all three were fully God in all ways, in full essence, and all unified perfectly. Mm -hmm. There was no distinction in their purpose but distinction in how we relate and they and how they glorify each other within themselves and love one another in how each person interacts with the others. And it is beautiful. And mm. it's why we're also relational creatures. We like people don't do well in isolation. <laughs> COVID nineteen proved that. You isolate somebody for weeks on end with no external communication with anyone, it was really harmful for people mentally because we were not built to be alone because we are God's image bearers and he himself is in constant communion and relationship within himself and then we are now brought into that relationship and that is amazing mm -hmm. as Christians we get to participate in this perfect unified relationship between the Father, Son and Spirit yeah and even in the Old Testament, although it's not clear the Trinity is there, we like there are theophanies when, uh, so when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the furnace, there is one saying of them like the Son of Man, which is language that is used for description of Christ. Hmm. There's the Spirit is the way that the prophets would speak God's word. Uh, and so you've got, and the father, uh, the father is a distinct character that's always talked about as well. Yeah, and so you kind of have it throughout all of scripture. It wasn't something that just popped up in the New Testament. Yeah, so the new revelation, the New Testament fully revealed it, but we do see the we do see hints and murmurings of it in the Old Testament, even though it was never explicitly stated in the Old Testament. Yeah, but we can point towards a few bits of spots that hint directly at its existence. Like, you know, like the point that you mentioned in Genesis just now as well. 
uh, talks about, you know, we, we see the spirit of God hovering over the water. Um, yeah, so it's it's been there, it's been hinted at, but it's fully revealed in the New Testament. And it was fully complete at the New Testament. Where yeah. It wasn't the disciples making it up as they were going. Yeah, it's always been a consistent uh, consistent piece of theology that from the start of Matthew to end of Revelation that has always held the same premise. Yeah. Yeah, and so in terms of looking at the persons, we're just going to briefly look at the Father, who's probably the, apart from maybe the Son, is the most understood in, in Scripture, is that... So you, you have the, the father who is neither got nor proceeding. He's almost taking this, and I'm going to say this very lightly because we he is not greater than either of the two, but it seems to be the starting point for processes yeah. in the way that they work out. So the father gives the instruction, has gives the will. The, father, the son carries out the will by the power of the spirit. Hmm. Um, so we'll read from Isaiah 64, verse 8. Uh, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so God as father for Israel was the common way of understanding who he was. Hmm. He was the, the leader. He was the head. He cared for and provided for Israel and now and for us hmm. and that is the image of fatherhood is from God and what a father is meant to be yeah and yeah apologetically right this is probably the the, the thing that's least debated right I mean, everyone believes in the concept of one fatherly type God that is you know, that has created everything so you're not going to find that hotly debated uh, and, but yeah, it, it is important just knowing that he, that is God, is, the Father is basically the author of creation. God is sovereign overall. We 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 see Him there, and when we talk about fatherhood, especially in the New Testament, we talk about God being our Father. We are adopted into His family. That same familial analogy is there, um, and yeah, so God the Father is God. We see Him there in that passage in Isaiah being associated with. Lord in all caps, which is the word Yahweh for Israel's note as God. So we're saying the Father there is God. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything more we need to say on that. No. <laughs> You'll find loads of references in the Old Testament, especially even in the Psalms, that will reference this specific fact. Yeah. And so what we discussed today is difficult <laughs> to fully comprehend. But it is a comfort that when we are in a relationship with a God who is relational, it's not one-sided, and we get to benefit from the love that is shown between the persons of God to each other. Hmm. And there is no uh, shortage of power in each one because they are all fully God. They are fully infinite. Fully almighty, fully immutable, all those things we just have discussed apply to every single person. And that is a comfort for us, and we can just worship God with thankfulness for it. Mm. And yeah, we, we need to make sure we are very firm in our understanding of the Trinity so, you know, we, we don't uh, 
uh, create any false heresies in our minds about who God is. We need to be very firm in understanding that this is one God who might have three distinctions, but is completely unified. Uh, and and yeah, there the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are undivided. They are always united uh, in their divine nature and in all their purposes. Yeah, and we will see why it's so important, especially for the Son and the Spirit, why they need to be fully God as well, where it applies to salvation. And we'll discuss that in the next couple of weeks. So please come back and join us for that. But in the meantime, please rate and review us and join us on uh, Facebook. Uh, Just look up Oceanside Theology. You can join the group there and continue these discussions and ask questions. But in the meantime... From Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.